I, I am wondering if uh, you can recall a time or the last time or if there ever was a time when you heard a message devoted entirely to God the Father. Uh, I can't recall such an occasion, but tonight this is what is measured out to us as we continue to consider the crystallized significance of the body of Christ. Seven ones. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. But when Paul comes to the Father, he elaborates one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Uh, we will see much later in the message the parallel between Ephesians 2.18 and, and Luke chapter 15. In Luke 15, we see the operation of the triune God in the salvation of the lost sinner. And the Son is presented first as the seeking shepherd. Then the Spirit is signified by the woman with the lamp searching the house. And then the Father is there, waiting and watching for the Son to return. So, through the shepherd, Christ the Son... And in the one spirit, the searching woman with the lamp, and one father. On the one hand, and we will emphasize this, the father is the unique source. And also the father is the goal. In Ephesians 2.18, Paul says... In him, that is Christ, we have access in one spirit unto the Father. To be reconciled to God, that is to be saved, and that is primarily a positional matter. To have access to the Father is a matter of sweet enjoyment in the experience with the Father in the Son. In John 14, the Lord made it very clear that He would be the way to the Father that we would in Him be where He is. 
And in verse 20 of that chapter, he said, In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. You will know that I am in the Father. You will know that you are in me. And that indicates you will know that by being in me, you are where I am. That is in the Father, by being in the Son. If we consider John 14 in the light of John 1.18, we may be touched in a very sweet way. 118 says, no one has ever seen God, but the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father. Present tense. He is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared Him. If we put these together, 118 and chapter 14 we will realize that to be in the Father by being in the Son is not actually a positional matter mainly. It is a matter of the sweetest experience in the divine fellowship. That in the Son, we are where He is. We are in the unique source of everything. As Paul says, out from whom, out from him are all things. And we are in the unique goal of all things. Unto him are all things. The one God and Father who is over all, through all, and in all is, according to the context of these verses, the God of the body of Christ. We have the triune God, the one Spirit, the one Lord, the one God and Father. He is over all. This points to His sovereignty. He is sovereign over all of us, over each of us. And in the body life, this is one of the things we learn. The entire body, every part of the body, every member, knows the one God and Father who is over all. He has the right to determine our destiny, to measure our days. He is the one who placed us in the body as it has pleased Him. He is the one who determines our unique course as believers. He is over all. Amen. 
And because the Lord is focused on building up of his body, his being over all extends to anything and everything, anywhere, at any time, that may affect the body of Christ. Therefore, in every election, I vote for God. I'm a member of the God Party, the Theocratic Party. By my prayers, I vote for God. I won't say any more since voting should be done in secret. He is over all. So in the UK, if Charles ever gets to be king, or if the succession skips to the first son, even that matter to which it's important to God will be determined by him. In the body, we learn the absolute sovereignty of the, God, of the one God and Father. He is over all. Then Paul says, he is through all. And the all here has to be in reference to the body. For the God and Father to be over all is really no challenge to him. Because that's uncontested. No one can touch his sovereignty. But he also wants to be through all. That is to pass through our being at will. To get through us. And let's not limit this in our visualization, visualization to the outside, being outside of us and passing through us. Let us recall that he is in us, in the Son, as the Spirit. And let us all acknowledge we are not natural-born thoroughfares for the indwelling triune God. God has to do much to be able to pass through a person. To be able to release what he has imparted into the spirit and to cause the spirit to flow throughout one's being and then to flow forth this involves very much. There is no such being as a person in and of himself fully and utterly open to the Lord passing through him. We have layers of resistance. We have all kinds of thoughts and notions and concepts. We have feelings, some delicate, some not so delicate. We have intentions, we have willful resistance. 
Uh, none of this is really disheartening to the Lord. I would just say it requires his uh, active working to renew our entire being. The body of Christ is an organism through which God can pass through at will. That's what we see in Acts 13. The five, and they were diverse. And they had had a lot, humanly speaking, they were diverse. And it was very good for the Pharisee of Pharisees to have his church life in that location, in Antioch, to touch the reality of the new man. They ministered to the Lord, the head, and when he spoke, there was no resistance. There's no reasoning. There's no hesitation. And of course, there is no, no impulsive activity. The Lord spoke, separate to me, Barnabas and Saul, unto the work to which I have called them appointed them. And they responded accordingly. I think it's appropriate to say they were a genuine, vital group. Uh, five's a, a little large for a vital group, but it's still within range. And there they were in the reality of the body of Christ and the spirit could pass through. When and where the Lord can pass through, that is the body. Where he is inhibited, limited, or blockaded, that is not the body. That is the not body part of our being. But the more we live in the body life, experiencing these ones, especially the baptism to terminate the barriers, the more our God and Father will be through all. Through all. The law of my body is representative of all of us is that the body responds instantaneously to the head. The head directs, the body responds, the head directs the right arm to be raised up, the left arm doesn't say why does the right always get to show off, there's no such thing. The head doesn't direct you. Now you can scratch this part of my head if you'd like, but that's it. This is a most experiential matter. Through all. When the Lord, I believe, when he has a group of people through whom he can pass at will. This will be very close to his coming. 
I say again, don't mistake impulsiveness for the Lord passing through. The Spirit is not impulsive. He doesn't plan strange thoughts in your head and you take a reaction, have a reaction. That's another source. But whatever the Spirit wants to pray, the body prays. Whatever the Lord wants a member to speak, the member speaks. Isn't Philip a very good example of this? Philip the evangelist? After he had preached Jesus in the kingdom, prevailingly in Samaria, he was on a journey. He saw a man in a chariot. The Spirit said, go to him. And Philip ran. He ran. Maybe he was a quick person by nature, but I don't think that is the point here. He was so responsive to the Spirit. Eventually the Spirit carried him away. When he hit earth at Azotus, he just kept on preaching. I love this point very much. And it's a matter we should pray about from time to time. Maybe this evening, even now, as we're together, would be a good time. Oh Lord, get through me. Get through us all. And then in all. When the Lord can get through all, then he can dwell in all. So this is one exceedingly precious matter pertaining to the God of the body of Christ. Outside the body, this God is not your God. I know doctrinally, theologically, you may make all kinds of claims, but in actuality and your experience, God is is over all, through all, and in all to you when you are living in the body and therefore know God as the God of the body of Christ. Then the other exceedingly crucial and precious matter concerning the Father is the lesson that our distant forefather millennia ago had to learn. Abraham had to learn, and I don't know if there's any other way but the hard way, he had to learn that God is the unique source of everything. Brother Nee emphasizes this wonderfully in his classic book, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of glory appeared to Abram, changed his name to Abraham eventually, enabled him to be a believer. Then he promised Abraham, who was aging, married to a wife who was aging, you will have a son, you will have a seed, an heir. And through him, you will become a great nation. So the focal point of Abraham's life was this son. And the first, I wouldn't call it a scheme, it was the thought 
Well, Eliezer, this elderly servant of mine, he will be my son. Since I'm getting older and it's unlikely that I'll ever actually generate one, and God said no, but one who will come out from your own body. He is the only one I will recognize as the seed, as the heir. Well, time goes by, and there's a sidebar in relation to this, and that is, maybe we shouldn't call it a mystery, the enigma of the feminine psyche. Okay, with Sarah. Sarah comes. She proposes to Abraham. Since they don't have a son, it doesn't look like they will ever have a son together, go into Hagar, my handmaid, and have a son by her. Now there's a real lesson here in practicality. We surely need to listen to our wives. But as I'm listening, I would like to know who has been talking to you, the snake or Gabriel? <laughs> if you've been talking to the snake, even though I love you, I'm not accepting anything you propose. But if you have something from God, then I would like to honor the Lord by honoring his operation. Anyway, Abraham just listens to his wife. It seemed Adam made a similar mistake. You listen to your wife. And so he goes into Sarah with the Hagar. They have a son. And the son is rather unruly. Then Sarah comes in again and condemns Abraham for doing the very thing she asked him to do. If anyone here can explain this to me, send me an email, Ron Kangas, Ron Kangas, AS at gmail.com, and please resolve this perpetual enigma of do it, you should do it. All right, dear. Why did you do it? You shouldn't have done it. So Abraham is getting it both ways, and God does not agree with him. Abraham generated something with his own flesh as the source. And this mistake is not one you recover from by just a simple, lighthearted, I'm sorry to the Lord. Government is involved here. Discipline is involved here. So for how many years? 12 or 13 years, God is silent. And Abraham has to live with the consequence of his being the source and not yet believing that God would enable him to sire a son. Then God came to him again 
reiterated the promise, reinforced the covenant, and required circumcision, signifying the application of the cross to the flesh. Abraham, you must now terminate your ability to produce something that is not out from me. Your flesh must bear the indicator of this. All those in your household and all of those who are descendants of you, you must be circumcised. And Paul in Philippians said, we are the circumcision." We are those who have experienced this cutting, who, worship, who serve God in spirit, boast in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Anyone who has confidence in the flesh cannot and will not live the body life because he will be full of ideas full of suggestions, and even worse, full of ability. He can produce Ishmael's. He's got the energy. He's got the strength. He joins himself to today's Hagar. And this is utterly intolerable in the body of Christ. So Abraham was particularly trained of God to honor God as the unique source. And this training involved Abraham's being brought to the point of impossibility, human impossibility, and his wife the same. So you recall... Her reaction, either in or on the other side of the tent, when the Lord said about this time next year, Sarah will have a son, and she's laughing there. I'm not sure why. Was it in unbelief? I don't know what it was. And then she was asked, why did you laugh? Maybe she thought, this is impossible the laugh of impossibility. This old lady will have a son in about a year. Tell me another story. I didn't laugh. Yes, you did laugh. And actually, we'll name your son He Who Laughs in a positive sense. So through all of these experiences, Abraham had to learn that God the Father is the only legitimate source, not only in the universe, just period, because God is not limited to the universe. And this Father God as the source enabled Abraham at a hundred years of age and his wife, 90 years of age, to bring forth the promised son.
And that was a wonderful time. And they lived a God-enjoying life. And Abraham planted a tamarisk tree, signifying the tree of life experienced by us. And he called on the name of Jehovah El Olam, the eternal God. And during this time, Isaac grew to maturity. Abraham had come to know God as the one who calls things not being as being. But the God and Father of us all is not only the source, he is the destiny. At the end of Romans 11, Paul declares, out from him and through him and unto him, are all things. As we know, God intervened and required the offering of the only Son. And this became a test in more than one way. If you were Abraham, waiting to be a hundred years old, finally have the son. That son would be everything to you. And Abraham gave him everything he had. And you would cling to him. And you would hold to him. And you would possess him. Eventually, even more than God. And we have to learn to not allow what is given by God, no matter how precious, to replace in our experience the God who gave whatever that is. But a deeper lesson was the deepening of Abraham's faith And I'm using a particular word, not to make a show, but it's the exact expression. May grace be with the translators. Abraham was brought to the nexus of contradiction, humanly speaking. Two lines came together, seemingly to contradict Isaac is the heir. In him the earth will be blessed. Isaac must be sacrificed. Abraham must hold to both. He cannot resolve the pressure of the seeming contradiction by saying, okay, I guess Isaac won't be the heir. God wants him to be a burnt offering. He is not free to change that promise. And he is not free to disobey God's present will. So this pressure in his being forces him to believe that God will raise Isaac From the dead. He is the promised heir. 
There cannot be another. God requires the offering of this son. I must obey God. Isaac will be offered, yet he is the heir. Then God will raise him from the dead. That's Hebrews 11. And in figure, he did receive him in that way. And in reality, this is what God himself did. And sending his own son, then his son was obedient unto death, then God raised him from the dead. When the angel of Jehovah intervened, because Abraham had passed the test, he said, because you have not withheld your only son, you have not withheld, I, I, I will bless abundantly. Your seed will be as the stars of heaven, as the sand of the seashore. Because you have not withheld. On Mount Moriah, Abraham's experience reached the peak. He had come to know God as the one who calls things not being as being. Now he knows God as the one who gives life to the dead. This is God the Father as the unique source and as the unique goal. And this is how we live in oneness with Him. We absolutely deny anything in us that would be the source in any way. We will not allow our active intellect to be the origin. We will not trust in our deep psychological feelings. We will stand against the self being the source of anything. The fasting, along with the praying of the five in Acts 13, indicates this starving of the self, this denying of the self. We have one Lord. We minister to Him. He is the one source. We have no source. It doesn't matter how experienced we may be. We should be experienced in not being the source. But then eventually what the source brings forth is not for us to cling to. It's not for us to hold to. If Isaac just lived the rest of his days enjoying the tree, calling on the Lord, he would have been happy, but there would have been no multiplication, no type of the multiplication of Christ in resurrection. So the Lord must work to detach us from even the most precious things that he has given us out from himself as the source. Amen. Otherwise, the Isaac 
will become a replacement for God. Thank you, God. You kept your word. You were faithful. It was a long wait, but you brought us through. We have Isaac now. We're so happy. But Isaac was brought forth for God's intention, for God's purpose. Isaac is not for Abraham and Sarah's human satisfaction merely. And our father Abraham learned this lesson, this twofold lesson. God the Father is the unique source. I bear a mark on my body, the cutting of the knife, to testify I agree with God's judgment on this active flesh of mine to produce something that is not out from God and therefore will become a problem to God, as Ishmael is to this very day. Out from him are all things. Then at the time appointed, unto him are all things. When the Lord has persons like this, even a small number at first, in the church, he has a way to bring that church at least to a certain extent into the body because these ones are open to the one God and Father who is over all, through all, and in all. They honor Him as the source. They honor Him as the goal. Therefore, He can flow out. He can flow through. Then He flows unto. Then He initiates something further. He flows through. He flows out. He flows through. He flows unto. This is the God of the body of Christ, the one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Now we read through the outline in the light of this. Let the rain descend. We're in the marquee, enjoying the triune God. I'd like to offer to you this definition of the church as the body of Christ. It's a quotation. It's not a Ron Kangas original. I have a source. I am the Isaac and someone else is the Abraham. The church as the body of Christ is a group of people who are united, mingled, and incorporated with the triune God. This is from one of the conclusion messages. The church as the body of Christ is a group of people who are united, that is in life, mingled, 
that is in nature and incorporated that is in person with the triune God. We have seen something concerning the one spirit and the one Lord. Now we come to the one God and Father. And did I point out he is over all, through all, and in all. Isn't that fresh? One, God is the originator of all things. And the Father is the source of life for the body of Christ. We love that hymn, 12 in the English hymnal. Oh God, thou art the source of life, divine and rich and free. As living water flowing out unto eternity. And this source is signified in the word by the fountain. Sometimes it's very sweet to pray to Father Fountain. To come to the fountain and to sweetly testify, Father, you are the unique fountain in my life. You are the source, the origin of my spiritual being. Father, we come to you as the unique fountain in and for the body of Christ. Just for a few minutes, we enjoyed praying at the source. I believe the Lord will give many more prayers through the body, to the Father as the source. And we will ask Him. We will request of Him. I would like to make a request right now. Father, we request a church in Copenhagen, Denmark. And we request a church in Edinburgh, Scotland. Do, do you, we can at least just simply ask him. Amen. Sophia, Bulgaria. Amen. You don't have to elaborate. The Father prefers direct communication. You don't have to inform him what he already knows. You don't have to say, Oh God and Father, you are omnipotent. You know all things. You want to fill the earth with your glory. And you are capable of raising up a church anywhere you want. I think he's fully aware that he's able to do this. Just ask him. Is there a church yet in Uppsala? Father, a church in that university city. More churches in the Russian-speaking world. Is there yet a church in Krakow? That's an important city in Poland. God, our Father, our fountain, raise up a church in Krakow. Strengthen your testimony in Poland. Don't forget Poland, Lord. This is so sweet to the Father. We come to Him, honor Him as the source of life. 
We read two verses from First and Second Thessalonians respectively that speak of the church being in the Father. Did you notice the difference in the two verses? The church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's 1 Thessalonians 1.1. 1, 1. Then 2 Thessalonians 1.1. 1, 1. The church of the Thessalonians in God our Father. The church is in God the Father. For the church to be in God the Father, God must become the Father to us. And we need to have a life relationship with Him. Many of us had a background in rather formal denominations. Some were in Catholicism and prayed the Our Father. Those of us that were Protestants, we would recite the Lord's Prayer as a ritual. How much sense was there that God really is our Father? These words, our Father, actually embody God's New Testament economy. Who is this our the hour is all the believers as children regenerated by the Father now built up into one. We have a life relationship with Him. This is one reason why the Son as the firstborn after we remember him and declare his death at the Lord's table, takes the lead to sing hymns of praise to the Father. Our Father is very patient and forbearing, but the Son made it very clear what the Father is seeking. He said, God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truthfulness. The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truthfulness. And listen to what the Lord said exactly. For the Father seeks such to worship Him. He didn't say, really, the Father seeks such worship, although He does. He seeks such persons. Persons who have the fountain spring river flowing in them and who will follow the Son, who is the emergence of the fountain, especially after the Lord's table, to take time to worship the Father, to love Him, to adore Him, to thank Him, to praise Him, to sing to Him. 
I don't know how many Lord's tables I've attended. Some of the sweetest have been when we remembered the Lord with praise and we took sufficient time to worship the Father. But there have been many meetings where we were in haste. I don't mean if we have a time limitation. I mean we're in haste in our natural life. Some even have had the concept, this is just a ritual, this is a form. But the Father is seeking a drink. He wants to drink of our spirit. He wants us to open our being in the Son. The Son knows how to worship the Father. We have a life relationship with the Father we have direct access to the fountain in a way that is organic and full of life. God the Father has made it possible for the church to be in Him. In the New Testament, especially in the Gospel of John, the Father denotes the source of life. The title God refers to creation. The title Father refers to the impartation of life and indicates a relationship of life. The Father, the source of life, is for the propagation and multiplication of life. God is no longer merely our creator. He is also our Father, our begetter. For he has begotten us with his life. I don't know why this happened or if my parents decided it would be this way. But it's a fact of my personal history that I was the only child in my family. And I really deeply didn't like it. But there's nothing I could do about it. Then I was in formal Christianity where we didn't say brother this and sister that. So now I'm in the church and I'm suddenly a brother and people are calling me brother, especially when they don't remember my name. That's when we call one another brother. Sometimes we should just say, brother, I, I, don't, I, I don't remember who you are. But maybe that's too much truthfulness for some of us to bear. So the sisters are calling me brother. And then I'm now, I'm, you know, I, I suppose this is the way I need to speak. So I say sister, brother, sister, brother. Then in one meeting, I gave a testimony. It, it was not contrary. It was honest. I, I can't relate to this. I don't have any family history to relate to this. But I have now come to realize that God is our Father. And that I really am your brother. And you really are my brothers and sisters. So after the meeting... One sister passes by and says, Hi, brother. 
You just consider this reality. This brother, sister matter, is not just a kind of label. We really are brothers and sisters. I don't know if I've ever met you, but I love you and you love me because the Father in His love begot both of us. We had the same source, the same life. I'll tell you a very touching story from a trainee who graduated maybe in 1996 or 7. She asked for some fellowship. She wanted to tell me this story. She was from Cambodia. From Cambodia during the days of Pol Pot and the killing fields. And one day her father went out of the house and he never came back. He perished in that dreadful slaughter. When she was old enough to experience this in full, she said she was just cut in half. Now she was a young adult, 23 or 24 years old, in the training. Having suffered this trauma and this grievous loss for 10 or 12 years, that was the background. She came to my office to tell me some good news. She said, Brother Ron, I realize I do have a father. I have a father. And the son revealed the father to her. Not as a compensation, but as a reality. I never forgot that. This dear sister can now bear such a testimony in reality that God is her father. Now let me add a P.S. Just because it's so endearing. But don't think it's about this brother. It's about that sister. Yes, God is our father. But we also need fathers in the Lord. So one day on a Monday, the training's not in session. Trainees are not in uniform. They're free from the usual schedule. Several are in the cafeteria working on a matter. I'm just passing through. And she calls out to me. I need a dad. I need a dad. So I changed my schedule immediately so she could have a dad who has the same father that she has. Don't you ever need a dad? The church as the body of Christ has one God and Father. But some brothers are growing to maturity 
as the Apostle John indicates. They are fathers as expressions of the one father. And the same is true, although this is not the point in Ephesians. There are mothers. In Romans 16, Paul is greeting all these people and he greets a brother and he said, greet brother so-and-so and his mother and mine. The Apostle Paul had a mother. Well, I don't want to stray from the main point, but we are in something organic, something familial. We really are the family of God. We really have a life relationship with the Father. We call God our Father because we have been born of Him. We have not been adopted by God. We were not in some orphanage and God came in mercy and signed adoption papers. We have been born of God. We have the divine DNA. We have the, the heavenly gene in us. We are the same as God in life and in nature. Not in His fatherhood. What could be more logical? More reasonable. Point four, through his life-releasing death and life-imparting resurrection, the Lord has made us, his believers, one with him. Thus, his father is now our father. Why did the Lord say that on the day of resurrection? Isn't that significant? He couldn't say it before because something happened in resurrection as we saw this morning a little bit. He himself in his humanity was born to be the firstborn son of God having humanity as well as divinity. And we were regenerated at the same moment he was born to be his brother's. What a wonderful reality this is. This aspect of the body life is so pleasant, endearing, sweet, precious, safe, secure. There is no safer place than to be in the Son, in the bosom of the Father. Maybe we should be like the children singing, everything's all right in the Father's house. And on it goes. In the Father's house. The same entity toward Christ is the body, toward the Father is the house. Five, by His death and resurrection, the Lord Jesus has brought us into himself. Since we, since he is in the Father, we are in the Father by being in him. At this juncture, I need to comment on one of the worst 
theological travesties and tragedies of the whole history of doctrine. The warping, the distorting, the misunderstanding, the misrepresentation of one of the most crucial chapters in the New Testament. John 14. There may be no other single chapter more wrongly interpreted than this chapter and the influence of tradition is dense. The Lord said, in my Father's house are many abodes. I go to prepare a place for you. Then I will come again. I will receive you to myself. Where I am, you also will be. I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. I remember once after I had graduated from seminary, helping a respected senior pastor at a funeral. He was a real brother with a PhD, a lot of experience, honored the word of God. I respected him. And we're sitting side by side in that funeral chapel. And he told me he would be speaking from John 14 about the father's house. And then he said this, that is not what it means, but they don't know that. They all think it's heaven. So that's what we'll give them. Well, that put something in me, I didn't realize it at the time, to seek the truth. Here is the tragedy. The father's house. The vast majority of believers have a higher regard for a place than for a person. They find more comfort in a place than in a person. When the believers pass away, we mourn. Paul says we grieve but not as others who have no hope. They mourned when Stephen was martyred. So we need to be comforted. So the standard comfort is your loved one is in a much better place. Your loved one is in heaven And either in a mansion, or if someone knows not to use that word, in a special dwelling place built just for him. And he's so happy. Some even go so far as to teach that their pets will have eternal life and be with them. If that's the case, I fear what would happen when my wife had... 
20 fish tanks, hundreds of fish, rabbits, more rabbits, quails, dogs, birds, all kinds of things. Fortunately, I don't believe that nonsense. But here's the common teaching, and we need to expose it. That the Lord, he's a carpenter, and he has prepared this place designed just for you. And, you know, we're not going to be married then, so we're all going to be in solitary in our mansions, in our condos. So we go there, we're told, when we die. It's the place that comforts you. Not Christ, not God, not the Lord, the place. But then they will teach us, oh, when the Lord is about to return... All the believers will return with him to be co-kings. That means we will vacate our palace, which in turn means it was nothing but a motel the whole time. And this leaven is everywhere. And Brotherly charged us in one of the elder training books, this is the worst leaven the woman put into the fine flour. That plus the New Jerusalem being a physical city. We have to purge it out. We have to purge it out of Europe. And unfold John 14 in a way worthy of God. The goal here is not a place. Look, to show you how, how, how crude this can become. I saw a man, and he's a pastor, and no doubt he's a real brother. He had a t-shirt on. And we were both exercising there so I could read the t-shirt on the back. at the picture of a cross. On the cross there was a note nailed there and the note said gone to see dad we're fixing a place for you be back soon to pick you up oh my goodness the father and I we're, we're working it's taken 1,900 years, but we've got a lot of units we have to build. When it's done, we'll come and get you. Supposedly, then you'll be raptured. You go to your place. But it turns out you don't stay there after all. So this is not only false, it's incoherent. We need to come back to the pure word opened by the genuine ministry God's intention was to bring us into God the Father. And He was to prepare a place for us in the Father, which would then become our place in the Father's house, which is the church as the body of Christ. Amen. That matches Ephesians 2.18. In Him we have access in one Spirit unto the Father. That parallels 
Luke 15, where the Father has sent the Son and the Spirit. The Son seeks and finds. The Spirit enlightens and convicts. The Son comes to Himself. And the Father is there, waiting and watching. Waiting and watching. And He sees the Son with His rehearsed apology. And the Father runs to Him and embraces Him and covers Him and prepares the fattened calf. And the Lord doesn't say that after that part of the parable, but He said it earlier. There is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. We may not have a big outward gospel campaign in Europe, but I believe in Greece, in Portugal, in Austria, in Croatia, in Bosnia-Herzegovina, in so many places, one by one, the sons will return. And there will be joy in the presence of the angels of God. What a heart. The Lord brings us back to God. We have access to the Father. How would you feel if you got a special invitation that gave you access at will to the office of the Prime Minister or the President of your country? If I would get an engraved invitation from President Obama, dear Ron Kangas, we'd like to know that you have unlimited access to the Oval Office. You are welcome here any time. Just be properly attired for the occasion and you may come. Well, that's never going to happen. I don't want it to happen. But I, like you, have an invitation issued from God Himself Amen. with guaranteed access to the Father Amen. to be where the Son is. He said, where I am, you also will be. Please remember, He is in the bosom of the Father. How sweet is this aspect of the body life. Okay, B, C, and D to finish up. And much time for prophesying and then for some special fellowship uh, about the matter of training. The church in God the Father is a composition of sons of God. Are you sisters clear? I hope you're not under the influence of feminism. That when the Bible speaks of sons... It includes male and female believers presently. And when the Bible speaks of the wife, it includes all the brothers as well as the females. Some evangelical publishers have changed the text of the Bible. I can show you a certain version put out by evangelical scholars that says for John 20, 17... Go to my brothers and sisters. 
Because some of these women come and say, we're not, we're not included. We feel excluded. It's all a man thing. It's all patriarchy. So, so we want you to add. Even though the Bible says don't add. Surely that's the meaning. That's the intent. No. God knows what he means. He says what he means. When he says go to my brothers. He means brothers. And that brothers includes male brothers and female brothers until we're in resurrection and the reality of no male and female in Christ will be manifest. So there might be a new sister here stumbled by this son's matter. So be encouraged. I'd like to call you, enjoy the Lord, son. Praise the Lord, brother. And if you feel you need to not get back, but you need to respond, then you can say, enjoy the Lord, part of the wife. I would say, amen. You want me to enjoy the Lord? I'll pray song of songs. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. I'm not afraid to be a female in relation to the man. He's the man. Okay, so are we clear? Sons is inclusive. And it's the feminists who will repent. We're not repenting for teaching what the Bible says. The New Testament reveals that God wants many sons. And that he has predestinated us unto sonship. God's good pleasure, the desire of his heart, is to have many sons for the expression of his son. That's what he wants. Now, I know I've used this illustration numerous times, but probably most of you have not heard it. If you heard it, then just... Take Christ as your forbearance. When my older son was a senior in high school, he played football for the MacArthur Cardinals in Irving, Texas. And that season, they had a perfect record in regular district play. But in Texas, football is the state religion. And there's the second season, which is the serious season. That's the playoffs. According to various divisions, the highest is 5A. So the MacArthur Cardinals, including David Kangas, the aforementioned older son, were in the playoffs, first round, not at a high school field, at a professional football stadium, what was then Texas Stadium, where the Dallas Cowboys played. I think they've destroyed it now to build another one. So on Friday night... I admit, I was not at my group meeting. I was in the stands. I was in the stands to see the MacArthur Cardinals engage the Arlington Colts in the first round of the playoffs. Championship bound. And while the players are on the field warming up, I got a kind of revelation or enlightenment. <laughs> 
or an impression. I realized what I was doing there. I was only paying attention to number 38. <laughs> David Kangas, strong safety. And no doubt all the other parents were doing the same. Then this is what occurred to me. I have the plan for the perfect football team. We multiply David Kangas. And he is every player. David Kangas, quarterback. David Kangas, wide receiver. David Kangas, running back. David Kangas, kicker. David Kangas, punt return. Guard, nose guard, tight end, cornerback, everything. I don't care for anyone else except my son. I want my son to be every player. I want my son to play every position. And then I realize God is saying, that's what I want. Amen. I love my son. I delight in my son in the Godhead. What I would like to do now is to impart him into millions and millions of people. So everywhere I look, I see sun. Amen. And the sun remains the unique one, the only begotten, the firstborn. But he, a person, is living in all my believers. They are all sons. There is one person in millions of people. And all these many sons, they are the members of my body. I do believe that impression came from the Lord to understand his heart. He delights in his son. So no wonder Paul said, it pleased God to reveal his son in me. Amen. So he will sunize us all and have many sons to be the many members of the body of Christ. Christ. God's good pleasure, the desire of his heart to have many sons for the expression of his son, I repeat. For the church to be in God the Father means that the church is in the one who is the unique source, originator, and initiator. We emphasize this. This implies that the church is in God's purpose, plan, selection, and predestination. To know God as the Father is to know that everything originates from Him and that everything proceeds from Him. I believe this conference, with its subject matter, has been and continues now to proceed from God the Father. Amen. We honor Him as the source in every meeting and every message. We deny ourselves. We come to the source. We come to the fountain. What a wonderful Father we have. In the church life, God the Father should be the unique source. And we all should be in His unique purpose and plan. Amen. And then the final point, which really implies the high peak of the divine revelation, the truth that in Christ we're becoming the same as God in all the attributes that can be shared. 
will never be omnipresent, will never be omnipotent, will never be omniscient, will never be self-existing, but we will be love. We will be love. In the church life, we need to have the loving, receiving, and forgiving heart of our Father God. In recent years, I received some touching testimonies of brothers and sisters who returned to the Father's house after 15 years, 20 years, 30 years. They've been brought back. One came to me far into middle age, happy to be back, but fearful for the time that he lost. And I, his brother, was delighted to comfort him with a verse from Joel chapter 2. I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. God is able to do this. The enemy will lie to you and say, yes, you're back, but you've blown the best part of your life. You think you can make it now? You think you'll be transformed, mature in time? Satan, stop lying to my brother and my sister. The Father doesn't bring you back to entice you. He is well able, I've seen it happen, to restore years. How he can do it? I don't know. He's God and he's very, very good at being God. And God has his own way of managing time. On our part, may there be no older brothers among us. We would all just have the loving, receiving, forgiving heart of the Father God. This is the way we live. We are one body with one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, whose sons we are and whose heart is being reproduced in us so that repentant sinners may know there's a Father who has been waiting for them, who loves them, who rejoices in their salvation. How wonderful is our Father. Father, we worship you for your loving and forgiving heart. We have so often strayed, slighted you, but based upon the redemption wrought by your Son, you always receive us. Father, we like to thank you for being the wonderful person you are. Thank you for sending forth the Son to rescue us, to find us, and to bring us back to you. Father, for the sake of the body, we have one particular request. Make our heart the reproduction of your loving and forgiving heart. That all of Europe will see God as he really is. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Father, we love you, we thank you, we praise you, we give you the glory. Amen, amen and amen. amen. You know what time it is now. Please follow the anointing within and share something. And I hope the brothers would agree it's really good to be brief and focused. Well under a minute will allow more to share and then more time for the special fellowship. So let's proceed.